Today we are diving into week two of Family Month uh, 2023, and all month long we have been discussing these uh, how to resist the five lies that ruin relationships. Now, we all desire to be happy, and most of us want our family members to be happy as well. But the reality is that happiness is a state of being that is very difficult to sustain. Our expectations are often unmet, preferences clash, and this can lead to hurt feelings. So the question is, what then? What do we do with that? Is it my responsibility to ensure that every person in my family is happy at all times? Last week, Pastor Efren uh, discussed the purpose of family and covered lie number one, which was, in a good family, everyone is mostly happy. And he spoke to scripture, which is exceedingly clear, that it is the responsibility of believers to submit to one another in love and servitude, something that many other worldviews and beliefs do not speak to. But despite all that, it doesn't guarantee a good family, does not guarantee a happy family. And he touched on this when you read about Lot and Abram and their relationship, right? So today we are going to be discussing lie number two, which is if you don't agree with me, you don't accept me. See, we all have a high need for that feeling of belonging with one another. And we want to feel like we fit in with a group of like-minded people. <clears throat> we want to be known, loved, and accepted for who we are. But when it comes to family, it can feel like we must pick one over the other. Why do some of us feel least comfortable with those we should have the closest connection to? And can you only belong to someone, to a group of people who see 100% eye-to-eye with you all the time? Or is diversity possible in a close-knit family? Or do we just go with the my way or the highway kind of thinking? So earlier, I just revealed to you all that I was once an Android user. And it's true. Last month, I switched from the <laughs> from the Galaxy S23 to the iPhone 15. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love this church. <laughs> so, now, this is the first iPhone I've ever owned, ever. And I consider myself a, a tech-savvy kind of guy. Now, this is not sponsored in any way. This is not like a sponsor. I'm not trying to recruit. Anything. I mean, if Apple wants to invite me to preach at their campus, I'll, I'll go, I'll drop my things, we'll, we'll make it happen. You can message me on Instagram. But here's the thing. The S23 has a 6.8-inch display up to 1440p resolution. This is for the, the nerds in the room, like myself. The iPhone has a 6.7, 1290p resolution screen. S23 has a 200 megapixel camera up to 100 times optical zoom versus the iPhone's 48 megapixel camera up to 10 times optical zoom. During the summer, we had a uh, <clears throat> South Hill student event, and we did a hike in July to uh, Griffith Observatory. And so we met at the bottom, and we, and we hiked. And while we're hiking, one of my volunteers, he pulls out his iPhone, 
And he's like just taking pictures of the scenery. It's like, yeah, this is so cool. And I'm there with my phone, brand new, and I'm like zoomed in all the way. And he's like, what are you recording? I'm like, I'm watching these people fight on the steps of Griffith Observatory right now. And I can see their shirts, I can see their car, you know, keys hanging out of their pocket, like, and he's looking at his phone, like, is something wrong with my iPhone right now? <laughs> and so here's the thing, I mean, S20, come on, people, S23 has a bigger battery, faster charging, higher brightness. On paper, it, it, it trashes the iPhone, to be honest with you. So the question is, why did I switch? I'll tell you. Because... Some of my closest friends and family refuse to allow me into their group chats, okay? Because of the green text bubbles. They, had, they probably had a chat that said, not Chris. That's for the ladies. They, they probably get that reference, okay? Not Chris. They would not let me because they were like, no, man, I can't do the green text bubbles. You can text us each independently. I'm like, come on. And I've been hearing that for the last 10 years. Okay, no FaceTime, no whatever. And I would always defend, I'm like, dude, you guys don't know what you're talking about. My, my phone is like three of your phones tied together, you know? They weren't having it. So eventually I switch, <clears throat> make the switch, and <laughs> out of the word, I had like old friends like, hey, text me, hey, I saw your text turn to blue. Some of my family is like, they're sending me emo like those face emojis and FaceTiming me. One of my, you know, my sister, she, uh, First thing she does is she sends me an Apple Cash request. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm just trying to show you how it works. If you're watching, I want my $5 back. You didn't give it back. I thought we were supposed to, you know? Anyway. In times in our inner circles, you know, we can make each other feel unaccepted because they disagree with our positions, they disagree with our preferences. So for us to understand, how do, we approach, how do we approach this concept of acceptance, especially in families? Let us open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, verse 2 through 4. Genesis 37 says this, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them, to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the one of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak to him peacefully. So we're circling back here to a very early story in the Bible, one that follows the descendants of Israel. Israel, a.k.a. the artist formerly known as Jacob, if you recall, Jacob came to an impasse with God. They began to wrestle physically. Jacob is unrelenting during this uh, wrestling bout, right? And he refuses to stop, to surrender, until God touches him on the hip, dislocates his hip, and renders him incapable of continuing. So what does Jacob do? He clings to God, like clinches to God, right? And tells him, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And it's in this moment where the Lord blesses Jacob and changes the name from Jacob, which meant deceiver, to Israel, which meant he who struggles with God. The book of Genesis utilizes both of these names to distinguish what kind of character Jacob 
Israel is representing at any certain moment. And although Jacob struggled with God his entire life, his son, Joseph, would be victorious. It's worth mentioning that when you're studying the ancestral history, which follows from Abram to Joseph, this will unveil that this central family to the plot and story of the Bible were messed up beyond comparison. Abram's in-law was turned into salt. Isaac gave his fortune to the wrong son, and Jacob ran 200 miles on foot to escape his evil twin's murder plot. And some of you are thinking, like, my family's not that bad when I, when I really think about it now. See, this family, they struggled to accept one another despite their relationship. And although many of the men were uh, meatheads, as my father would say, overcomplicating their lives to the brink of destruction, despite the brokenness of that convoluted family tree, God's word to everyone is this. Your family's brokenness past, present, or future, does not mean God has forsaken you, does not mean that God cannot make something incredible out of that brokenness. God can work through the most difficult and messed up families if you allow him to prevail. So because of Joseph's unwillingness to agree with his brothers, they ultimately refuse to accept him as their superior, which leads to hatred. So I'm going to give you three key points that will help you avoid this lie. Point number one, rejection can lead to alienation. How many of you identify with something you wish your family embraced? This can be specific genre of music, a sports team, a type of uh, breed of pets, or a tech brand. This can very quickly lead to this rabbit hole of negativity where we think to ourselves, if you don't like what I like, then you must not like me, you must not respect my opinion, and thus you don't love or accept me. Some of us are this person and some of us grew up with this person. Nudge your sibling if they were that person. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. The reality is that disagreement doesn't just make things worse. It can lead to hurt feelings. It can lead to this feeling of being mocked, judged, or even betrayed. And you learn early on in every relationship, there are conditions that people will put on each other, right? So you decide, let me just keep my mouth shut instead. Let me not even go there. Man, if, if a woman ever asks you if their outfit looks pleasing on them. Let me put it this way. My buddy once took his uh, girlfriend to get her like a custom dress, right, for this work function. And that's it. That's the end of the story. I've never heard from him again, <laughs> ever. And sometimes I think that I miss this guy and I'm like, but then I got over because he's a Steelers fan. So I've just moved right on. That was one for the men. I'm sorry. I had to get his back. <laughs> we dislike, we dislike even hate when conditions are put on us in relationships. But the question is, have you ever put a condition on someone else? If we continue in Scripture, we read Genesis 37, verses 5 through 8. It says this, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. 
There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose, stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, So shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his words and for sharing his dreams. Now, Joseph's dream was far more than an ambitious hope. It was an assured prophecy. I think we can agree it lacked tactfulness. He didn't approach it in a tactful way. These are the same brothers who became infuriated over Joseph for getting a coat. And now basically he goes over and he's like, hey, I'm dad's favorite. Oh, and by the way, you're all going to be my servants someday. Joseph's approach could have been a little bit more gracious, understanding the conditions that his, bro- that his brothers were going to put on him. But the reality is that repressing that dream, not speaking truth to his family members, would have been far more dangerous for them than it ended up being for him. This brings us to our second key point. Invite expression or welcome repression. What do I mean by that? Well, rhetorical question. <clears throat> How many of you can think of one person right now in this moment that you are frustrated with? And you think to yourself, why are they like this? Why can't they be more like me? Maybe it's not safe to share what you really think and feel with this person. And not just physically, but holistically. The reality is there is more than one type of safety that we are to offer one another. These types of safety, there's four of them. First one, physical safety. The sense that you're not afraid of being hurt. Mental safety. You're not afraid of being ridiculed. Emotional safety. You're not afraid of having your true feelings dismissed. And spiritual safety. You're not afraid to question your faith, to come to this person with your doubts, with your questions. These are all very different sensations, but what they have in common is that they all require communication. You can quote me on this. Any attempt at suppressing speech is an attempt at mutual destruction. Any attempt at suppressing speech is an attempt at mutual destruction. And that's not a political statement. That's a factual one. You have the right to feel safe in your home. You have the right to feel safe at your school, at your work. You have a right to feel safe at church. And you have a right to express how you feel in your relationships, be it with family or friends. The question is, are you making sure that everyone in your vicinity feels equally as safe to come to you with these questions or concerns. A person who loves you is going to work day and night to ensure that you feel safety. And this is not something that is achieved in a day. This is a, this is a lifestyle to make sure that the people around you feel safe and comfortable with, with all these four different senses of safety. But notice what is not a matter of safety. Disagreement, differences of opinion, discussion, and even debate. 
This brings us to our final key point. A healthy relationship doesn't mean we agree on everything, but that we feel safe and secure enough to share anything. Some of you, and I recognize this, you experience the exact opposite with your families. You may have grew up in a family with unspoken rules, things we do not talk about. Dad's drinking. Mom's secret credit card. The way someone listens to you in these moments can be a game changer. Are their arms folded? Are they looking at their phones when you're coming to them in these moments of crises? Maybe you don't have someone to hold your hand in these moments or to lend you to their shoulder to cry on. But the scripture equips us to be that person for somebody else. Maybe the family you were born into or adopted into is broken, repeating a cycle of toxicity. And yes, at many times it can be easier to call it quits, to turn your back on them. But the reality is that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is beyond his control. Nothing is beyond his ability to restore. He can restore burnt bridges, soften the coldest of hearts, Maybe you have an elder who harmed you in some kind of way or a sibling that embarrassed you. And you have a right to feel the way you do. But scripture thankfully provides us a way forward in these moments. If you turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Show of hands. How many of you are currently uh, undergoing the Rooted series? A few of you. If you haven't, it's something I I highly, highly recommend uh, getting involved to, uh, either in this series or or the next one. But Rooted is a wonderful series, and we're learning a lot from it. I just completed it myself for the second time uh, with... uh, our Burbank staff, and this is something I took away from uh, day one of week 10, says this, a family is comprised of members who belong to something bigger than themselves. They stand together in times of celebration and hardship. You've heard of the phrase, blood is thicker than water. And I'm very blessed to be in a family that despite our hardships and struggles, I can say for a fact, our bond is unbreakable. No one can penetrate that. I will not allow it. And thank you, because I serve a God who's greater than me. But the reality and the truth is that some of them have offended me in the past, and I've offended some of them in the past. The way to get past those moments of struggle is to recognize the fact that they are not just my family because of the blood of our ancestors. They are my family because of the blood shed by Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ being that individual who loves them more than I ever could. In Paul's letters to the Ephesians, he says this, he tells them that the Gentiles are no longer strangers, but fellow members of God's people and God's family. This is because of the blood spilled by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. 
And let me tell you, for those of you who lack a mom, who lack a dad, I know it's, it's easier said than to accept, but the truth is, you are no longer orphaned. You have a father in heaven who has opened his doors to his home, to me, and to you, if you're willing to accept that. He has a seat at the table, at his table, with your name on it, waiting for that moment. And one day we will stand before him and he will ask us, what did you do with the family that I gave you? In Matthew 18 it says this, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? One, three, seven times? Jesus responds and says, no, I say to you, up to seven times, not up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. When someone hurts your feelings, you don't have to worry about reopening your heart immediately. That's not what we're asking you to do. But in those moments, immediately go to prayer, immediately speak with your Father in heaven and ask him for wisdom in that relationship. How should I proceed? How do we move forward? And these things, they may take time. They may take struggle. They may take wrestling to deal with. According to the rabbinic law of that time, the rabbis urged no more than three times of forgiveness to a brother. And here in this moment, Jesus, as he always did in the New Testament, always, he elevates the law. He did not break or slander the law. No, he took it from here, brought it up here. And so his recommendation was not three times, not seven times, 490 times. And on 491, you can, with a clear conscience, say, I'm going to deny forgiveness. Some of you are like, man, I'm, I'm almost there with this person in my family. A few more times, God, and uh, I'm good. No. Before you do that, and you have the right to do that. You have the right to do that. That's fine. I understand. There, there's things that I can never relate to, perhaps, that you or someone you know may have gone through. Perhaps something that I've gone through that you cannot relate to. But before you turn that back on your individual and you deny them forgiveness, I would simply urge you to ask yourself, how many times has God forgiven me? Me, well over 491 times, certainly. How many times has he accepted you despite you failing him? The only thing I ask that you would not say is, don't ever tell a pastor that your family is beyond saving. There's no such thing. Because I wasn't beyond saving, and you're not beyond saving. No matter what the past was, no matter what happened, no matter what you've thought or said or done, you're not beyond saving. Your family is not beyond saving. Not even after 491. You can take these things to prayer, and you put it in God's hands. As the scripture says, right, he will leave the, 91, the 99 to go after that one. I was that one in a moment. See, my goal is to spend eternity with my family. In ancient Greek, there are different terms for love. You may be familiar with these, depending on the type. And the word for familial love is called storge. Everyone say storge. The Greeks who became believers adopted a different term. Agape. Everyone say agape. Agape 
was used to describe the unconditional love that God offers us. The irony, of course, is that although the genealogy of Jesus was not perfect, they still wouldn't have accepted him anyway. But Jesus did not turn his back on his family or his lineage. What he did is he changed the trajectory of where that bloodline was going. And so again, maybe your lineage, maybe your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, maybe it is a convoluted mess. God is not asking you to completely fix it or to completely you know, restore that family tree. He's certainly not asking you to turn your back on it either. But you have an opportunity, just like Jesus said when he came here. You can change that trajectory. Maybe not completely. Maybe it's just a few degrees. That's, that's more than enough. That's more than what God equips us to do. And the rest of it, he'll take care of. So as I close for today, one last question. What is one way you can begin to make others in your family feel accepted? Here's an action step for each of us that we can begin to implement today and going into this week. Ask everyone in your family, is there anything about me that makes you feel like you can't be open and honest with me? And then all we ask is just don't be defensive when they tell you what you weren't expecting or when they tell you what you don't want to hear. 